Welcome all you weirdos, for Cohen's, and everyone who's volunteered to go live in the pit for the foreseeable future. It is time for your 45th Weird Dose of X. I am Jason, and with me, and likely feeling quite smug from being so correct about Rasputin the Fourth, is Ruben. Ruben, how does it feel to be so darn smart? Yeah, pretty clever. Although, possibly too clever. My other crazy theory didn't pan out, but I have a new crazy theory. Well, we won't talk about the ones that didn't pan out. We'll just stick with the ones that did and speculate about the future, and that's that's how the money rolls in. Uh, so yeah, this uh, this event is over. It feels like we spent forever trying to get to this event, and we spent a long time in this event, and it, it feels kind of weird that it's over, but also in, in some ways it's not even really over. So we'll, we'll certainly talk about that, but so Sins of Sinister has officially concluded with Sins of Sinister Dominion number one, which is the only book we're going to talk about today. Uh, there was some stuff in Iron Man. We're going to kick that to next week because we want to focus just on Sins of Sinister Dominion. Uh, and just as uh, Kieran Gillen promised in his newsletter, this really did have significant, meaningful effects on what I guess we're going to call the real timeline of our Krakoa story. Uh, I'm also going to take a moment here and pause to explicitly say, hey, lots of spoilers are coming. I don't usually do a spoiler warning. I figure, hey, listeners, if you downloaded this podcast, you hit play in an episode that says we're going to talk about Sins of Sins of Dominion, you know what you're getting. But this time, for sure, I really recommend, hey, go and read this book first. It will be much more enjoyable. You read the book on your own, experience it on your own the way it's intended, and then come back to hear the nonsense theories that Ruben and I come with. Okay, so I presume everyone's gone off to read the book now. And they're back, and we are going to head right into Sins of Sinister Dominion number one, Infinite Deadly Sins. Written by, hey, Kieran Gillen, art by Paco Medina and Lucas Wernick, colors by Brian Valenza, letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller, with Jay Bowen. Once again, this story picks up right where we left off. When I had originally looked at the, the structure of this whole thing, I thought that maybe we get another time skip after year 1000 into the even further future, but with Nightcrawler's number three ending on that cliffhanger, it was pretty clear we'd be continuing directly onward, and that's what we do. <clears throat> so here's where we start. Everybody's dead. Almost everybody. Uh, the other three Nathaniel Essexes are all dead. That was a surprise. Dr. Stasis died first, killed by Wagnerine on the Orders of Mother Righteous, year 10, Nightcrawler's number one. Orbis Stellaris died next by suicide after Storm and her brotherhood stole the world farm and Sinister's lab from him. That was in year 100, uh, Sat Bomb number two. At, at the time, we weren't sure. Maybe it was just me. I was a dummy. I wasn't sure if he was really killing himself or just his underlings. But no, no, it was he was killing himself. He had given up that much. The last alternate Essex to die was Mother Righteous, also killed by Wagnerine inside the newly reopened Sinister's Lab in Year 1000 at the very end of Nightcrawler's number three. So who else is dead? Banshee, Storm, Mystique, Destiny, Nightcrawler, John Ironfire, maybe? Uh, okay, we'll get there. Uh, we sure thought he was dead. Uh, most of the universe is dead. <clears throat> Who is left alive? Mr. Sinister, the, the original, the one and only. Evil robot Moira, if you can call that alive. Wagnerine and her glowy baby. The remnants of what had been the Quiet Council with Beast and Professor X now like the major remaining players after Emma's death. And hey, yes, John Ironfire. Not actually dead. Like I said, bit of a spoiler. So we actually back up a little time-wise from the ending of Nightcrawler's number three to the ending of Storm and the Brotherhood number three. 
and we shift perspective to Mr. Sinister. His allies have just defeated Red Diamond Kaiju Emma, but now Death Rider Galactus has shown up to cause problems, and Sinister still doesn't have a way through the Unisphere. But I, I just realized what sentence I just read, and that's that's craziness. But anyway, that's what this event is. Uh, we know, because we've read Nightcrawler's number three, that both of these problems, uh, you know, how he gets into the, the, the lab there, gets solved by a single supersonic juggernaut. But in this issue, at the beginning, that hasn't quite happened yet. Moira had wandered over toward the vault where Sinister's lab is kept, but at this point, that vault is still sealed tight. Sinister's in radio communication with Moira, but he doesn't know where she is until she tells him. And this is when that juggernaut bullet comes in to save the day, well, you know, save the day from a certain perspective, and we get a little more clarity as to how Destiny arranged this. Now, I thought last time that it was all a bit too coincidental, but I think the explanation here really works. Uh, we've, uh, Sinister reminds us that way back in Sins of Sinister number one, we were told that the Quiet Council, the, the Sinisterized Quiet Council, was tipped off to Thanos' location by, quote, precognitive reports. In this issue, it's made clear that the QC never learned exactly which precog had sent to the tip, but of course, it was Destiny, which means that she was able to effectively control the direction that the Juggernaut was fired into space, precisely so that she could ensure that the Juggernaut would be here now to kill Galactus and to crack open the vault. So uh, what, what did you think of that little revelation? I think it was cool, but I still, I'm a little more um, skeptical that it works. It works because it's cool and I'm fine with it. And I really like the, you know, Destiny is such a, you know, eight steps ahead character. But even beyond that, it's like, it's space, right? Like you might see what happens you know, with Galactus attacking this station, but I don't understand like how you'd be able to say like, oh, if I fired in this direction, it'll it'll get to where it needs to be. It is a little convenient that Destiny's powers are just as strong and just as weak as they need to be, right? She can see what happens with Galactus, but she didn't foresee that she was going to get you know killed from behind back in that uh, that story. Unless I guess issue. I guess maybe she saw like a million versions of herself shooting him in all different directions, and then <laughs> found found the one that was the right direction. It, that's a, just a little bizarre. Yeah. Like like you said, it, it was cool enough that we don't worry about it too much, and there's going to be several parts of this issue that I think are that saying, well, it's cool, so don't don't think about it too hard, and, and that's certainly one of them. Yeah, and the story's told in a way where it's where it's like that. I, there, I'm going to go out and like, spoil it, but I do really like this issue, and it you know we'll get to the reasons why, but I feel like it, it asks a lot of really big questions and links back to recent history, and it's a really fun addition to the Moira X story that we've been given, as well as throwing in some of the stuff that Kieran and um, the others have introduced more recently. Totally agree. This is this is a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, here we are with evil robot Moira at the now open vault. Again, it, it's, if you think about it, shouldn't she be like really dead now? Uh, she was just right at the location where supersonic juggernaut hit an Unisphere Immovable, un unstoppable object, in you know, all you those things. You think there'd be some kind of force, yeah. Some kind of force. All we saw that radiation that killed Storm back when she did something else and killed Emma, but we're not going to worry about it. It's, it's open. She goes in. That's all we need to know. <clears throat> so she heads off into the lab where she does all that stuff that we saw her do in Nightcrawlers. While Moira pops off to be evil, Sinister has his own problem. Turns out that John Ironfire, the, the guy he shot in the back of the head a couple issues ago, 
ain't actually dead. We get some kind of chatter about how Ironfire always uses his magic mutant blood to coat his bones in metal before a fight. Uh, okay, was he just pretending to be dead? Because he sure looked dead. Was he not dead, but you know had a really bad concussion and now just woke up? And yeah. either way, shouldn't a high-power psychic fella like Sinister have been able to figure out that he wasn't really dead? Unless, unless, and this is, but then it makes the next part funky. You know, the metal blocking the, the abilities. I mean, he's already got his skull coated, right? That's the whole point of like the bullet didn't pierce my brain because there's metal. Uh, I guess around no, it. maybe maybe he was psychic proofed already. That's that's an interesting idea, but but then he wouldn't need to do the helmet thing, which I don't know if makes sense. Again, I, I feel like I'm I'm saying a lot of stuff that hey, that doesn't really make sense. But again, listeners, overall, sure, I'm going to nitpick. That is what we do here. But yes. uh, I, I we did like the book. I think it's cool. I mean, it's great. You know, he's got a I guess a Wolverine type exoskeleton that is resistant of bullet and i'm also fine with it being down right because you know we're bulletproof vest you're gonna still get kind of knocked down for a bit and i guess well you know there's so much going on here i don't think sinister is that focused on assessing the situation right like i think he just assumed mm -hmm. yeah sure my, my first read through most of these nitpicks did not occur to me because the story just carried me along it's only when i go back through and start really really poking that stuff that i eh, all the pieces really fit together and, and it's fine but yeah He's arguing with Moira, and Ironfire pops back up and is like, ha you didn't get me, basically. Yep, it's a, a horror movie kind of trope. Yep. So in any event, Sinister and Ironfire fight for a bit, Ironfire getting the clear upper hand, but they're interrupted by the forces of Charles Xavier, who's taken over Emma's old ship and uses his psychic psycho powers to make the ship, the, the, the Dr. Nemesis kind of coding of the ship, look even more like Ego the Living Planet, uh, with naturally a, a big old red diamond on its forehead. Cool visual, doesn't really matter so much, but it looks cool. This is actually super convenient for Sinister, as Ironfire stops trying to kill him and flies off to go do battle with Xavier. Uh, yeah, there's, here's the bit where Ironfire uses his blood to make himself a Magneto helmet so that Professor X's psychic mumbo-jumbo can't control him. Uh, yeah, if you look back at the history of Magneto's helmet, I don't know if that really works. I don't know if this would be some particular metal. Uh, in my head, I'm saying it's Mysterium, because Mysterium means you don't have to explain anything. anything. It's yeah, like, it's well, like Speed say, Force. I, Speed Force, yeah, I will, don't explain. I will say the helmet blocking Charles's power is very much canon. I mean, that's the whole point of the helmet, and I don't know why everybody else doesn't have it, but... <laughs> <laughs> You'd think there would be a, you know, coming out of vending machines of this universe at this point. Yes. But, yeah, so that part's fine, other than the points of if it's just any metal, like, why didn't he just already have it? But for the visual, it looks cool, right? Absolutely. Your forehead, and then your blood oozes out and forms into the Magneto helmet. Which, it almost feels like John Ironfire's mutant ability was thought up just to make this scene happen, doesn't it? <laughs> like, everything else was kind of backing and filling so he could make Magneto's helmet. Yeah. I actually, you know, when I saw this power, I was like, oh, he's wearing armor. Is like all of this just made out of his own blood? Be probably. Probably. All, all of his weapons are. And I also didn't really understand, like, why he's wearing, like, chains around his wrist. Because it looked cool. Yeah. Duh. Just bizarre. I was like, is it supposed to be holding on the blade that comes out of his wrist? But it doesn't really need to. Anyways. So, anyway, the iron fire problem having solved itself, Sinister is free to head off to join evil robot Moira down at his now-open lab. There's a nice little bit where Sinister is kind of nonplussed by all those skulls of the various nightkin who have ended their lives here over the centuries. Like, what? He doesn't... It's, it's fun that Sinister doesn't know everything that's happened in his own event. That's pretty cool. It's been a big universe. 
Uh, there's another nice bit where Sinister yells, get away from my Moira's, but he yells that at Moira, which is just, just wonderful. A nice little moment. So Sinister and evil robot Moira argue and shoot at each other for a bit while Xavier Red Diamond assault continues, but Sinister pretty quickly convinces Moira that her best course of action is to just allow him to upload his data. Now, she's done some stuff we don't know about yet, or he doesn't know about yet, but he ag- she agrees pretty quickly. Yeah, I had to read this a couple times, but I did understand it. So basically, the idea is, you know, there's Charles Xavier, who's ego, and he's basically going around and forcefully pacifying everybody, right? Like you his join dream, his, yes. his, his, his dream, dream is now by force. Yes. And so uh, Iron Fire is fighting the ego, you know, Professor X, because Sinister convinces him that he's the bigger threat, right? Like, you might take out me, but then Xavier's going to show up and he'll pacify you and everybody else. And that's probably right, right? All you got to do is knock off that stupid helmet. And even if Ego Charles can't, right? He's got a legion of people working for him that could probably just swarm and, you know, that he's ever. So very similarly, um, Nathaniel Essex and Moira are like, you know, fighting. Sinister is basically saying like, hey, I need to upload my plans to reset the universe. And she's like, I'm not going to let you do that. And then he's like, well, if you don't, then basically we're just going to end up in this exact same place because timeline gets reset and I'll just go through the same motions. Um, And then also, like, we don't have time to argue about this because if we do nothing, then eventually Xavier shows up and will take us out as well. Yep. And that argument does make sense. But also, after you read the issue, you realize She's done some stuff that Sinister doesn't know about, which probably yes. makes her more, you know, more likely to say, okay, go ahead and do your thing because yeah, yeah, she's, no, I think she's she, already screwed him up. Yes. Yeah. And in a way, this is just her pretending to be manipulated by him so that she could actually manipulate him, which I think is pretty cool and clever. So he uploads all his data, his thousand years worth of data, which is the big prize, we think, to send back yes. to his old self so that he'll have the advantage next next playthrough. Yes. Now, when the upload is complete, because Moira's busy fighting these Namors and and whatever, Sinister tries one last double cross. Instead of sending the info back, you know, killing a Moira and hoping that it gives him enough of a head start to make it a diminutive next time around, why not give it a shot this time around? What could go wrong? And how does he do this? What is the button he has to press, quite literally, to go full (laughs) outside time and space dominion? What is it, Ruben? Yeah. I don't remember what it's exactly called, but basically it's his reset button. It's which fail-safe. Fail-safe, yeah. Which he mentioned earlier when the timeline started going sideways the first time and the Quiet Council was not just doing what he wanted them to do. He was like, oh, I'll just reset everything, right? Yes, that kind of kicked off the whole event. Immoral number one. Uh, when Sinister was having tea with the disposable clone of himself, maybe that was a kind of fun scene, trying yeah. to think through a way to, to get control again. Uh it was a way to kill every mutant who had had been given a genome with the altered sinister bit. And the reason he couldn't do it then was because the failsafe was locked inside his lab, where he now is. So uh, we learn now from a nice little data page that the failsafe had two purposes. Number one was to clear up an experiment that runs out of control, which is how he wanted to use it back in year 10. Number two in the unlikely event we ever reach a sufficient population of sinister mutant hybrids, I can efficiently harvest their psychic essences and use it to push myself outside this reality to a state of existence normally reserved for AI gods. And this is Dominionhood. Ooh. Now, while this is new information, it also makes 
perfect sense. Well, as much as a wacky sci-fi concept like Dominion Hood that I still don't understand can be said to make perfect sense, it makes perfect sense. Why just waste all that unity goodness? Why not put their energies to good use like creating a supersized mutant circuit, we are told it's a circuit again, to boost their creator to reach Dominion? And that was another really neat moment. So he uh, he opens up the secret hatch where X marks the spot, and he pushes a little diamond-shaped button, and all the mutants on all the planets and all the galaxy burn as fuel for his ascension. Well, maybe yes. not exactly all. Three survive. He survives, Ironfire survives, unspecified one survives. I, it looks like Wagnerine and her glowy baby seem maybe like they survive, but that'd be four. So I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on here, but it looks like four to me, but maybe they're not counting uh, Sinister himself because he's the one receiving. Anyway, he, like he doesn't have the altered, I, again, it really matters how you're counting all the units. But anyway, uh, he, he wins, right? He ascends. No one in this universe can stop him, but something outside the universe does stop him. And what is it? He's, he's blocked. The space is filled. A sinister dominion already exists, and it doesn't want to share. This is so awesome. What did you think of this? Yeah, yeah. It's big. It's a big issue, and it creates a big mystery, which is intriguing, right? Like, I think it's a big misdirect here in the sense that he's talking about, you know, of the four clones, one of them beat him to the punch, right? And is already there. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm going to go ahead and give the credit to um, oh gosh, what? Comic Book Herald. They they did a YouTube video on this a few week, a few days ago. But I think this this is the most compelling uh, theory for me, is basically they, they're saying that it's probably a sinister from a prior Moira timeline. Because once you reach Dominion Hood, you're outside of time and space. And the one they were speculating was there's a kind of an age of apocalypse um, timeline in which allegedly Sinister's killed in that timeline, but probably wasn't because there's a bajillion clones. And so they that's their that's their conjecture is that it's that um, Sinister from that timeline, and he's been sitting in you know Dominion space, kind of that's, manipulating that's everything cool else idea. since then. Yeah, because mm -hmm. go ahead. I, I just don't see it as so the other the other compelling potential theory is like hey maybe it's the original nathaniel essex that spawned you know the four clones and the other theory i heard mm. is it, maybe he certainly seemed to be quite dead yeah and then the other the other theory i've heard is like maybe it's just another character that hasn't been revealed as a sinister clone okay now my theory at least the one i wrote down in my notes here is that if you look at the art itself this dominion is so big it doesn't fit in the art right what we see is this kind of featureless red shape we kind of see one edge of it where Sinister kind of crashes into the side. And to me, it kind of looks like we're in like the lower left, maybe like the seven o'clock portion of maybe a giant red heart, which would maybe indicate that this is some version of Mother Righteous. Interesting. Again, that's just me taking the smallest bit of information and spinning yeah. the whole idea out of it. But The darkness, you're saying there's like a curvature. Yeah, it looks like maybe maybe the edge. If you if you can kind of picture a giant heart that doesn't actually fit on the page, this could be just a little chunk of it. I mean, it certainly would make her bigger. It would. Now, I mean, there is evidence against this theory. For instance, the way the Dominion speaks does not have Mother Righteous's accent. But maybe when you become outside time and space, you're also outside whatever lower class British accent she happens to have. So I don't know. But yeah. Oh, and of course, the other theory is the outside the text theory is 
maybe Kieran Gillen doesn't even know. Maybe he just wrote this in to leave something to set it up to just yeah. you know, throw out there, and he or somebody else years down the line might come back to it or, or might never come back to it. Who knows? Yeah, still very cool. I like it a lot, and I, I do like this idea of dominions. And somebody was saying like, "Oh, well, couldn't he? Couldn't there be multiple dominions?" Um, that exist at once. I think he says yes, right? Like he talks about reserve for AI gods, and we already know the phalanx are a dominion. So I agree, there could be, you know, he's actively being blocked by one. Yes. So it's not just that <laughs> he can't, you know, there can't be another dominion. You know, there could be. Yes, this dominion but whichever has one huge, is there yep. doesn't want this, this Nathaniel to be a dominion himself. Yes, this is an amount of spite that does not fit in any one universe, which is a very sinister thing to happen. Ah, wow. So really good stuff. And I love it because we knew that Sinister could not actually win and become a Dominion because that's not how the, that's not how the story is going to go for. We, we've seen solicits, even if we didn't want to see solicits. We know other stuff is happening. We go back to a different timeline. So we knew we couldn't win. But this makes the Dominion thing not just a gimmick, right? Somebody won. We don't know who, why, how, or when, but it, it makes it meaningful in a way that, oh, he just lost wouldn't be as meaningful. So a, a really it cool puts, solution. It puts some crazy dread on the whole storyline too, because now you're like, if, every story going forward, there's oh, this yeah. nefarious Forever. evil outside of time and space force that's influencing things, right? So it's like, we have Fall of X, right? But like, whatever this is, is already set up to make sure that happens. <laughs> yeah. well, sometimes we talk about creators uh, taking on a property and some of them uh, kind of destroy or make the property worse. We can talk about which DC writers maybe have done that. Jim, Jim talks about that sometimes. But I think this is an example of Kieran Gillen making something new, making it better, something that other writers in the future can really pick up and potentially do something great with. So good stuff. And, and you can use it for lots of purposes, right? Like if you decide Snarky Sinister has run its course and you don't want to do with, deal with that anymore, then great, right? Like the, whoever's sitting in the Dominion could be a, you know, a different version that you want to go back to. Absolutely. So I think that's good. I just really hope that this isn't like the empty hand concept, if you remember that from DC. Oh, yeah. So they spun up this like big, big, you know, bigger than DC threat, right? That is outside of the known universe and it's very evil, right? And then never really got dealt with in any sort of meaningful way, right? Like, is this Dominion too bit too much of a threat to, to ever talk about again? I hope people don't forget it. But it seems like, especially the way the rest of the story goes, it seems like this is a very front and center threat that i would expect to yeah it, it could be, be either with. way this could be picked up in our very next issue or it could be remaining in fan theories for years to come okay in any event uh, a heartbroken heartbroken sinister wakes up back in the lab he doesn't have a long time to be sad because john ironfire comes in and swiftly executes him for a crime that must be pretty darn close or even bigger than that whole omni genocide thing that got old oranos in such trouble uh and then moira kills moira more specifically, evil robot Moira takes a gun and shoots clone Moira, thus ending the long and very boring life of Moira VII.1. And then we get an all-black page with just a bit of text. Uh, but it, it's another cool page. Kind of a data page, but without any of those usual trappings. Because on this page, we are between universes. We're between timelines, right? So this is separating the book into two halves. And it, what it says here is the death of Moira VII.1, length of timeline, 1,000 years. Sure. Peak mutant population, and then there's this big number, 
that yeah, uh, you're the math guy. I was like, what's bigger than a trillion? It's, this is I'm, I'm going to call this 8.6 quadrillion or 8.6 times 10 to the 15th power for any of my algebra two students out there. Uh, whole lot, whole whole lot. I mean, if there's billions of people on Earth, this is you know. Many a billion more. is 10 to the ninth. So this is like <laughs> millions of billions. If you take the Earth and multiply it by a few million, that's how many how many uh, mutants this is. Yeah. And next line is mutant casualties in Psychic Inferno. And there's another big number. In fact, it's almost the same big number, but it's three less, which I'm sure is where you got your yes. th- three. Yes. So John Ironfire, Wagnerine, Glowy Baby, maybe Sinister. It, it probably doesn't matter who we're counting here. I actually think it does matter think a lot. So? I want to talk about this really quick. So Ironfire, yes, is one of them because he never died, right? So he was never infected with the with the sinister genes. And then the other ones, that's the question, right? Like I'm assuming Rasputin is one of the dead because of what happens, you know, at the end. Yeah, she seemed to be well, she seemed to be dead before the inferno happened. Again, I, I think it's cool to use the word inferno again because that's a, a magic word in X-Men. So I th- I'm thinking that she doesn't count. So then I think I'm going to say that Nathaniel does. He didn't die. So it's Iron Fire and Nathaniel. And then there's one more, right? And so I think it's the baby, the baby who I thought was going to be the superior Nightcrawler. Yes. Um, I was looking at it again and I was like, that baby is reddish, right? Okay. And who else is reddish? Well, if you go back to Hawkspox Cardinal, who was like uh, the buddy of Rasputin 4 or like the you know one of the last few. That was hanging out was like a reddish nightcrawler. So okay. I've changed my theory. That's who I think the red baby is. It's Cardinal. Cardinal. Okay. And I do think Cardinal's going to show up in the main timeline. I think it, I think Cardinal survived the baby, and we'll get the baby back since we have Rasputin Four in the current timeline. Plus the you know the pages where we see the Inferno happening, we do see the mother and the baby there, and they're not exactly in the same color fire as everybody else yes which is why i thought maybe the two of them and in that same little panel it says here's the words a galaxy of mutant me's burns so hot this is sinister talking it sears a hole in all that is it would take a bold in italics miracle for any to be spared and that is right next to uh uh, glowy baby and uh wagnerine so that's why i thought that we were being told a miracles is happening now, I don't know that it matters because that universe goes away unless they it's would going have to be set, sent back as well somehow. I don't know how, right. but either that or it's like Age of Apocalypse where the timeline still kind of exists off to the side in, in hyper time or something. And yeah. maybe somebody will do continuing stories in this crazy, wacky, mostly dead universe. Or there'll be another way, like, like, uh, what do they call it in Marvel where they had that separate universe? Oh, the ultimate universe. Ultimate universe. And, you know, yeah. every once in a while, they bring over another character. Oh, somebody in that dead universe actually survived. Maybe it'll be that kind of thing. Anyway, back on that mostly black page that we're spending so much time talking about, uh, two more lines. Dominion Ascension Attempts, one. Okay, we saw that. And then just to stick the knife in the wound and twist it, successful Ascension Attempts, zero. Again, I don't know if this is just ha-ha sinister you lost, or if this is telling us that the dominion that we see here was not ascended in this timeline or am i reading too much into it no i think you're right and it's i'm gonna go back to that theory that i really buy which is the you know the um sinister from moira x timeline number nine 
is the one that ascended. And that certainly would fit with the data we have. Okay, moving on with that mostly black page. Uh, now we're back in what feels like an issue of Immortal X-Men, right? And I'm pretty sure this is where the Lucas Warnock art takes over too, because we had Paco Medina, Lucas Warnock, which adds to the feeling because he's the main artist on Immortal. Narration boxes tell us that we're in Sinister's secret lab and he's creating Mora VII.2 and it's back to year zero. Now, this page should look familiar. Three quarters of it is a straight copy right out of Immortal X-Men number 10. In fact, the very first page of Immortal X-Men number 10, Ruben, I sent you these two panels or these two pages uh, a little bit before we started recording. And this makes sense as when a Moira clone dies, the universe is reset to the moment of her creation. And this is when Moira VII.1 was created. So another really cool hey that you can see that uh, Gillen's plan was set. He really meticulously set this all up before he started, which is a, a fun thing to see. Now, the differences start when Sinister asks his computer for any information in this clone's memory, trying to find out which iteration of the experiment he's on, because that knowledge is only within that Moira's own memory. That's, that's how her crazy power works. And this time he's told there's one upload, and it's a doozy. He looks super pleased with himself. Uh, that he got so much information out of just one run, uh, and, and that's when crap starts to go wrong. <laughs> the art here gets a little confusing, as some of what we're seeing is current to this timeline, and some of it is illustrating what happened at the end of the Sins of Sinister timeline. So I think it looks like some of the panels have like wavy edges, and those are supposed to be what's happening in that timeline. But some of the panels are full bleed and have no edge, so you really have to kind of just think, does it make sense who's who's in the panel? Because it all looks like one big explosion, so it's hard to tell just from the look. But overall- I Basically, what, get a ahead. message back from Moira of, of the Sinister Timeline, and she basically says, you know, before you showed up, you know, and started fighting with me and then killing off the Moira, or, you know, saying you were going to kill off the Moira and then everything that happened happened. You know, we knew she had actually- she was there for the Mother Righteous betrayal. She knew what Mother Righteous's plan was. She kills Banshee. Yeah. And she saw that there was like a heart, like a mystical heart. I forget what the term was, but the reliquary or something like that. Whatever she was trying to yes. use her mystical powers with and knew that it could infect the, the Moira engine. And so she gets it and she basically um, uses it as planned. And she needed a, I guess she uses what, Mother Righteous's soul? Yeah. So this is another little hand wavy part. Uh, she does something Moira does that incorporates Mother Righteous into the virus instead of the glowy baby. Because Mother Righteous had said she needed a specific soul to sacrifice to you know, make the, the trip back. And it was described as a radiant soul saturated in the purifying faith of fanatics without number, which is a very size spurrier kind of a phrase, if you ask me, and that it's kind of flowery and doesn't really make sense, but okay, go with it. And how does Moira use her soul? Does she know magic? Does the heart itself just have you push on the left ventricle and that sucks in the soul? Who knows? Again, don't think about it too hard. It doesn't really hold up to deep inspection. Gets the job done. Mother Righteous is being used here. Mother Righteous is used and Moira adds some extra. But basically, it seems like she deletes all of the knowledge that Nathaniel was going to send back to himself and just replaces it with one reality, which is the fact that Right before his death, he realized that he tried to ascend and failed, and you know, he would always fail because somebody's already occupying well, a dominion. He, he hasn't uploaded that information yet because this bit happens before Sinister gets to the lab to the upload. So she puts in some sort of a Trojan horse, kind of wipe that up that upload after it happens, I guess. 
But Mother Righteous's information, all those secrets she had, they are still in there. At least we find that out later. The other thing that uh, Moira tells uh, Sinister, again, back in the, the year zero time after the reset, is, hey, Sinister, you lost. You tried to ascend, it didn't work, and now you're not getting any of your precious data either. All that you get to learn from that 1,000 years of your whole universized experiment is, and this is Moira's quote, this is my story. Your story is over. Now, again, this is me reading a lot into it, but I take this as a direct message to us readers saying, hey, the sinister story is done. His whole story arc dating back to Hellions and even to House of X and maybe even to what Kieran Gillen did his first time around writing X-Men, that story's over. It's a darn good story, in my opinion, but it's finished. And of course, I could be wrong. Any future writers could always pick up the story again, but I'm taking that as Kieran Gillen's message to us saying, here, I'm done with that. Hope you liked it. What do you think? I think that's right. And I think that, as I was saying earlier, I think this is sort of an opportunity for the next ex-writer that wants to pick up a Mr. Sinister to go with kind of a different personality if they so choose. Uh, certainly could, or I mean, he may be off the sh- you know uh, off the screen for a little while. We'll talk about that. In a uh, second I think too. he will for sure, for sure. I don't think expect to see Sinister anytime soon, but I also don't even think it'll necessarily be like the long-haired, snarky Sinister. We might go back to the more kind of cold, emotionless, buzz-cut Sinister that I remember from the nineties. No, no more capes. Oh, he had a cape, but <laughs> okay. he just wasn't. He wasn't, he wasn't so snarky. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> snarky. There wasn't the humor. He just was kind of a more. You think of the word sinister, right? And yes. I don't necessarily think of the snarky sinister as fitting the name. Sinister without wiggling your eyebrows, just regular actual sinister. Yes. Okay, so uh, after this message is transmitted, things start happening pretty quickly. Moira engine destroyed by the mythic virus, I guess. Uh, but it neutralized their X genes first, so it doesn't reset the universe a whole bunch of more times. How did it do that? Don't worry about it. Uh, some of Sinister's data files... In this universe, not sure which ones, are uploaded to somewhere unknown and then deleted. I'm taking this just generally mean, hey, he can't make any more Moiras. No more Moira engines, and that part is over. He had a copy of her DNA, right, as a mutant, and this basically burned it out, right? Yeah, there have been no a, a couple times in, in X-Men where people's genomes just get, their backups get deleted from somewhere. Like Quentin Pliers did that, which we'll find out about that, I guess, next time we do X-Force. But yeah, a, a couple times, you know, when somebody dies over in other world, weird things can happen to people's backed up stuff. And this is another one of those. So next, the computer announces that another clone is being brought online. This is Moira VII.1 dot RPIV. This is also the virus is doing, not sinisters. And that clone is, of course, uh, Ruben, would you like to do the honors? Who, who is this clone? Oh, Rasputin 4. Yeah. This is Rasputin 4, as, as Ruben predicted. She she is back. Uh, I guess this is the result of some deal that she made with Mother Righteous at the end of Immoral Number Three when she was floating in space. Yeah, maybe. So she uses her soul sword to cut her way out of the back to tank and essentially arrests Mister Sinister for quote the murder of mutant kind and then tells him you will pay for your sins. Very satisfying. I don't Very know if it's necessarily. Yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily a deal. But Mother Righteous, remember, she wanted to reboot the timeline with her virus heart. Right, so to make sure that she would win. So maybe part of her plan was to send back Rasputin Four to take out the you know classic Nathaniel. I'm sure it has something to do with a Mother Righteous scheme, one way or another. So now, speaking of, we cut away for a one-page interlude to check in on this timeline's Mother Righteous, 
who is in a giant library called her Sanctum Malefic. Hey, everybody. This is Jason here. Uh, Ruben has left the building. Uh, it's my fault because I got us started a little bit late and he had to go off and do some actual real world job stuff. So I'm going to take us through the ending of Sins of Sinister Dominion number one. But Ruben did record a little blurb of his whole general reaction and score. So Jim will tack that on to the end as well. So you get his take on it. And I'm sure he and I will chat some more about our reactions next episode. So we are now back to Sinister Story. The Quiet Council is still reeling, still literally covered in blood from Sinister murdering several of their members, these being Hope, Professor X, Emma, and Exodus. Kitty has, in the manner of Al Haig when Reagan was shot, said, I'm in charge here. But before she or anyone can do anything else, Destiny tells them, the future has changed. There's more of it. So these are the ripples of that Sinister Sinister timeline kind of forming in, in her own powers, however they work. And then immediately, Rasputin the Fourth shows up with Sinister in tow. This confuses the Quiet Council, but they immediately accept that she's on their side and that she's telling the truth. Maybe a little too quickly, but hey, we're already on page 37, so we got to start wrapping this stuff up. Rasputin tells the council what's what. We don't know exactly what details she shares, which might end up mattering. And they sentence Sinister to the pit super quickly here. Uh, he tries to tell them it's not him they need to fear, but the other Essex clones. One of them is going to win, or is winning, or has won, or has always won. This Dominion time and space stuff is hard to talk about. In any event, they don't seem to care what he has to say. I don't blame them. Not even when he tries to play the we should be on the same side card with destiny. And down he goes into the pit. Oh, and sometime between Rasputin revealing herself and Sinister sentencing to the pit, all of those dead Quiet Council members have been resurrected. They're all back. Next, Rasputin brings another player onto the stage. Mother Righteous visits the Council. She spills the beans on the whole Moira engine thing, which visibly stuns the Council members. I felt pretty much the same way when I learned about it all those months ago. Pretty, pretty crazy idea. Now, Destiny says that she knew about it all along, which ignore <clears throat> Destiny says that she knew about it all along, which visibly annoys Xavier. Again, the council seems to take everything Mother Righteous says more or less at face value, not being at all suspicious of her, which will no doubt come back to bite them in the ass. Mother Righteous even tells them that their resurrected members have that tainted sinister DNA in them. I guess Eddie Moon has been resurrected on Krakoa since has uh, that tainted sinister DNA, but they're only worrying about the council members now. So the book ends with those four council members, Hope, Emma, Exodus, and Xavier, volunteering to be sent to the pit so that their sinister sides can't cause any mischief. And the last words in the book are given to Storm, who says, she says, Thank you, Mother Righteous. Which, ooh, if we know Mother Righteous's power, that could be a very meaningful thank you indeed. So, a very cool ending. And like Gillen promised, we do have major changes happening in the main timeline. Sinister has been found out, and his Moira engine is gone. Five of the twelve council members have been sent to the pit. That's counting Sinister himself. Mother Righteous has a huge new set of secrets to work with, and a greatly increased public profile on Krakoa. Big doings. Uh, okay, some... Some questions I would throw out there if Ruben were still here, so I'm just going to speculate myself. What exactly is a Dominion? Who is a Dominion? Who is the Dominion who actually won? I don't know. We kind of chatted about that already. I think that is, is way out there and maybe not super well explained in the book, but that's kind of the point of the Dominion is that you can't really understand it. Fair enough. Uh, Mother Righteous, she's now a huge major player in the ongoing story of Krakoa. 
But what exactly is her goal? We know she wants to win. She wants advantage over the other Essexes. But what is she going to try next? Also, none of the Quiet Council members let on that they recognized her at all. But we saw that at least Shaw should recognize her. Uh, he had some doings with her at the end of Immortal Number 6. So he probably doesn't want the rest of the council to know, and he's a sneaky guy, so he's doing a good job pretending. And also, he is visibly not trusting Mother Righteous as much as everybody else. And I guess he has reason to not trust her. Uh, some cool parallelism here. Now, back in Immortal Number 10, Sinister got himself sent to the pit on purpose as part of his whole plan. And on his way down, he did this whole grand acting job of pretending how scared he was and how awful it was to be dragged down to the pit, when we know it was all his plan all along. But now he's back there and didn't have to act at all. He was honestly terrified and just horrified that he had he had lost. And he has company down there too. So what is the subjective experience now of those characters in the pit? Is it like in Sabretooth? Can they interact with each other on some level? Do they know now that Sabretooth and company aren't there anymore? Are they going to, when eventually they come back up, going to let, is this how the rest of Krakoa finds out, hey, Sabretooth, who was put in the pit way back in Hotspox, ain't there no more? Could be. This could be the means of tying that uh, Sabretooth series or those multiple Sabretooth series into the, the main story. How long is this status quo going to last? Are all these characters still going to be in the pit during the Hellfire Gala? That'd be awkward. Uh There'd be questions asked, you know, where is Xavier? Where is Emma? Where is all these people? Captain America's going to ask, at least, or Tony. Uh, and yeah, we, we do see Emma in, I know we didn't talk about uh, Iron Man today, but we see Emma in Iron Man. So where does that fit in the timeline? Who knows? Uh, could these characters, instead of going into the pit, just have killed themselves and get resurrected clean? Now that they know about the whole sinister DNA thing, could they remove it and do a clean resurrection? Or could they have just walked into Wanda's whole magical waiting room that lets you, you know, die and get reborn without having to actually get killed in that arena? I forget the name of it. I guess we're not supposed to talk about the waiting room anymore. But anyway, I think there are possibly other solutions rather than sending them to the pit. Although visually and narratively, the pit was the way to go. Rasputin the Four, she is back. And again, she's been a very popular character, so it makes sense to bring her into the main timeline. She's still a very naive character. In Sins or Sinister, she let herself be used by Mr. Sinister, and now she's letting herself be used by Mother Righteous, right? She is really an agent of Mother Righteous now. Will Rasputin catch on more quickly this time around, having been burned once? And by more quickly, I mean, will she catch on in less than 900 years, which is what it took her the first time around? Uh, art. Yes, I'm supposed to talk about the art. I, I made that whole you know, New Year's resolution and everything. But frankly, honestly, I did not pay a whole lot of attention to the art in this book. I know, I know that makes me a bad comic reviewer, a bad comic podcaster, but this issue is all about plot, right? All about twists and turns and revelations and betrayals and, and that sort of thing. There, there were no pages of art that made me stop and, and say, wow, but the art also did a really good job of getting those twists and turns across. So, Apologies to Paco Medina and Lucas Wernick for not sufficiently appreciating their efforts. I'll have to go back later and just spend some time enjoying their pages for their own merit. I was I was too into the story to really pay that close attention to the work the first time around. So overall, this was a really good issue wrapping up a very fun event. I, I know my biases. I tend to like the beginnings of stories 
and feel a bit let down by the ends of stories. I like the possibilities, not the here's the one possibility we decided to go with. But I don't feel at all let down by the end of Cinder Sinister. I think probably because it does feel like it's another beginning. We have all these other possibilities for me to speculate about. And this has been the most satisfying stretch of X books since Hellions wrapped up. And that was a book I just love. So I'm going to have to give Cinder Sinister Dominion the same score that Ruben did, and also the same score that Gabe Hernandez gave to Predator number one. And that, of course, is a nine out of 10. And here's where Ruben's going to give his reaction. Yeah, so I really love this issue. I thought the art was pretty solid. I'm really excited about the uh, question of who is in the Dominion and what that actually means for the X-Men timeline. I am curious about you know, what Mother Righteous's plans are going forward. Like, does she have um, some sort of influence over the remaining Krakoans? And also, I'm kind of curious about um, what's going on with the Quiet Council now that you've got the four main players kind of gone. And so, as far as an event that wraps up, you know, a character who I really like story in a satisfying way, I'd say this like totally delivered. Um, and it even, you know, it sets up questions for the future that I am curious to be answered. But doesn't feel like this was an incomplete story. Like we see the arc of uh, Starkey Sinister kind of getting what he wants and then trying to achieve victory and failing, which is kind of satisfying. And we get a reset back to the main timeline, but with a few things different. So kudos, Kieran Gillen, you did what you said you were going to do, which is you know make this event matter, even though it's an alt timeline. So all in all, very satisfied. Uh, for me, this is probably a 9 out of 10, even with all of the hand wavy stuff that typically would drive you crazy. I, I was just very happy with it. Okay, so that was the end of our big event. Uh, next week, well, it feels like we're still very much in the aftermath of Sins of Sinister because we roll right into Immortal X-Men number 11, which surely will deal with what's going on with this Quiet Council pit situation, and also X-Men Before the Fall, Sons of X by Cy Spurrier, with the cover featuring... Mother Righteous, among other characters. So, really, the event is over, but the aftermath and the effects of the event are still ongoing, and next week we'll also have Ruben fill us in a little bit on what's been going on with Iron Man. So, until next time, what is it we say? Well, I guess I'm going to have to say it myself. Go read more X-Men books.